0: Hello everybody, this is Queer Voices, a home-produced podcast that has grown out of a radio show that's been on the air in Houston, Texas for several decades. This week, Deborah Moncrief-Bell has a conversation with Gwen Flager, author of a new play called Shaking the Blue Flamingo, which opens August 12th in Houston.
1: The women gather together to support and bring together the high school prom for the high school seniors, LGBT students. And all of these
2: women are lesbians.
0: Then Deborah has a conversation with Kennedy Lofton of the Montrose Center about Kindred Spirits Reunion Dance and Decadent Desserts, which happens August 27th at the Ballroom at Bayou Place. Kindred
3: Spirits was already a fundraiser for basically as many women's programs in the community that needed. We are very honored and fortunate to have those women's programs now at the Montrose Center. We are just kind of going back to the spirit of the Kindred Spirits Dance, and because we haven't had a fundraiser for our sisters in so long. And we need those fundraisers to spread the mission, to find more volunteers, to raise money for the programs.
0: Deborah has a conversation with Sharon Prince, a member of the Houston Women's Group.
4: I do like the companionship that evolves and the sharing of like-minded ideas. The presenters are interesting. And then we do go to lunch after. And I enjoy that a lot, getting to talk to people individually and getting to know people
2: more.
0: And we have news wrap from This Way Out. Queer Voices starts now.
2: They once ran naked across golf courses, ate plates of greasy fried chicken, and survived whispered sorority scandals. Twenty years later, while organizing the first LGBTQ prom for the local high school, these non-traditional women are spun to the brink when their successful sorority sister returns to town determined to romance the woman she has loved all her life. This is an intro to Shaking the Blue Flamingo, written by Gwen Flager. Gwen is on the line with us, and she's going to tell us about the genesis of this story. A longtime Houston resident has recently relocated to Nevada. Or do you say Nevada?
1: Well, I say Nevada, but everybody has their own personal opinion about how to pronunciate the name of that state
2: pronunciate. That's really good. <laughs> Is this your story? Did you once run naked across golf courses? I did not.
1: Now, I did run across a golf course, and a number of us were in an impaired state at the time, but to my recollection, we were all fully clothed.
2: The play starts August 12th at Match, and it is a production of Dirt Dogs Unleashed in association with Sweet Darlin' Productions. I just love that name, Sweet Darlin' Productions. And it sounds like this story is about a lot of Sweet Darlings. So can you set it up for us a little bit? Certainly be happy to.
1: The women gather together to support and bring together the high school prom for the high school seniors, LGBT students. And all of these women are lesbians. So we've got seven lesbians on stage that throughout the course of the play, where you are exposed to their heartaches, their loves, all of their lives how they have related to each other over the years, how they have lost touch with one another, conflicts that they have, the complexities of their lives, all comes together when the sorority sister, whose name is Rosemary, returns to town to love the woman she's loved all her life.
2: Is Houston where they are, or is it a small town, or what is the location? Yes, it's set in a small
1: southern town. There's not a specific reference in in my script. There are different references to North Carolina. There's different references to the French Quarter. So it could really be any, however the audience member wants to visualize what little rural town this takes place in.
2: Pray tell, what is the Blue Flamingo?
1: Well, my goodness, I I would give a little bit of it away, but Deborah, since it's you, I'll go ahead and share. The Blue Flamingo is a mobile home. Flamingo was a brand of mobile homes back in the, well, long time ago. There's a reference to that, and that's where the title of the play came from.
2: I was, like, mystified at first because at first I thought it was shaking in the Blue Flamingo, And I thought, is that a club? What's going on? So I'm so glad that I asked because I I like that vision of, you know, like they used to say, don't come knocking if the van is rocking. That's right. They, yes. You can tell I'm an old hippie, right? So this is not, well, parts of you obviously are going to be included among the characters. You've taken kind of a composite of various women you've known in your life to create these characters. I imagine if if it's like most groups of lesbians, that there's some pairings and unpairings and kind of changes within the group. People that may have once been partners, but are now just friends, things like that. Is that correct?
1: Yes, and if it's not overtly indicated in the script, it's certainly implied. So it is. It's. I think what I appreciate most about this story is that it is more reflective of the lesbians I know, the, the women I grew up with, and then from that, of course, the women they love, the women we, we've all loved and known over the years. So it's such a diverse group. It's such an inclusive representation of what lesbians are, what we were, how we grew up in the 80s, the 90s, and, and earlier. So it's, it's so important that we see this history of where we were, where we've been, how far we've come. And the, this particular story, I think, is such a wonderful representation
2: of all of us the play is directed by bonnie hewitt and it has how many women are on stage seven women are cast
1: in the cast
2: of the people that are acting are all of them actually lesbians or bisexual to my knowledge no so they're acting
1: yes they are acting and doing a exceptional job it is remarkable Gosh, they've been able to, I think just in reading through the script and determining who these characters are and how they are and providing their own backstory to the characters or to ask me or to ask the director, Bonnie is so encouraging and inclusive activity that these actors, you know, want to show on on stage or how they've developed this character. I was kidding with some, and I said, we're going to have to make all of you honorary lesbians at the end of the show and put you in the directory.
2: So, obviously, none of them are homophobic because they're comfortable in taking on these roles.
1: There's a particular couple that is written into the script that have been together for many, many years, and the two women who are portraying these characters, you would swear, have been together for years and years and years, and they hug on each other and they kiss on each other, and it's so comfortable, it's so natural. You would never guess that these women weren't a couple.
2: I think I heard someone describe a feeling of the moment you sit down, there is this atmosphere that's invoked regarding this play. Now, it's not the first time it's been produced in Houston. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Back in 2018, Queensberry Theater produced Shaking the Blue Flamingo. It had been selected for a developmental project, and that was the completion of the project. So this is the second full production, obviously by another director, completely different cast. The play since that initial production has changed. I've reworked some of the scenes, I've reworked ending, I've reworked what didn't feel quite right some three and a half, four years later. And with the help of Bonnie and the cast, What didn't feel right, we have changed. We've made it better. If a line didn't work, I changed it to make it better, to make it work, to make it be, I think, a more complex play, certainly a richer play than was originally produced in 2018.
2: That's really interesting to hear because I was wondering about that, about just how what took place and if there was some tweaking done. You had turned your hand to writing a book before, and you discovered that you enjoyed writing dialogue more so than you became a playwright. But you're having some misgivings about that, apparently, as well, according to the article I read in Outsmart Magazine by Jenny Block. So what's going on with you, Gwen? That's a big
1: question. I enjoy writing. I've always enjoyed writing, and what I I was explaining to Jenny was that I think I have greater confidence in writing dialogue, and I feel like I can better tell my stories through dialogue than I could through more of a narrative, either in a short story format or a novel format. So then playwriting, of course, would would be the the logical place for me to fit, to be able to tell my stories.
2: And you've done a couple of, or maybe more than a couple, of short, I think they're called 10-minute plays.
1: Yes, Deborah, I've done, I think, three, maybe three 10 minute plays. One in particular has received uh, more production than the other. They're great fun to write. They're quick, they're fast. It doesn't take near, obviously, near the length of time to write them. And there, there are many festivals out across the country where you can submit your 10 minute plays. So there's a lot more availability of seeing your work produced than if you were writing a full length play. It takes considerably longer to be evaluated or vetted, as it were, and then put into a theater season, so you would probably be looking at two to three years out even if it was selected with the length of time it takes for these theaters to secure the royalties of various plays and to set their seasons up. So your little 10-minute festivals, gosh, you can see your works produced probably in six months or certainly within a year, which can be very satisfying for people who are initially getting into playwriting or just to see a little a little work done.
2: So what's next for Gwen Flaker?
1: I hope that this play is so well-received here That there is recognition as to the importance of telling this story, that some other theaters in the country would pick it up, that they would feel like we need to tell our story. My concern is that this story might get lost along the way. And it's a story I think you and I can both agree needs to be told. So that's my hope, that other theaters will pick it up. And beyond that, if there were another venue possibly for a film or a a shorter episodic type production, uh, would be great, too. I think any time we can promote our lives and how valuable they are that that, that's a plus i think that's that's what we need to do we need to champion our lives and champion the lesbian community and especially those who have been doing this longer than others
2: i think prime or netflix need to get on this right away and develop a series I I agree with you, (laughs) Deidre. And I haven't even seen it yet, but I'm really (laughs) looking forward to it. Again, we've been talking with Gwen Flager, who's the playwright of Shaking the Blue Flamingo. Premiering at Match on August the 12th, Match is the Midtown Arts and Theater Center located at 3400 Main Street in Houston, and you can just go to matchhouston.org slash events and you can find out information about tickets and all the information that you need. Thanks for being with us on Queer Voices. (laughs) This radio program, Are Voices, has existed since the 1970s on KPFT. We have this little crew of folks working every week to produce what's no longer unique, because we're almost mainstream now. But we're still an important voice that might not otherwise get heard because it's not on that many places. So KPFT is very important to give voices to those who might not otherwise have voices. So as Glenn always says, you participate by listening, You should also participate by supporting this station. So please go to kpft.org and make your donation right away. This is Deborah Moncrief Bell, and now we're going to talk about the Kindred Spirits Reunion Dance and we're talking with Kennedy Lofton, Chief Development Officer at the Montrose Center and one of my favorite people. So, (laughs) Kennedy, first of all, explain to those who may not know what the heck is Kindred Spirits?
3: Kindred Spirits is a dance that's been going on in our community for many, many, many years. It is named after the legendary bar that was owned by Marion Coleman, who was one of the founders of the Montrose Center. And Marion basically created a space for women that was safe. At the time, at least the legend that's come down to us, women were being assaulted or attacked in parking lots in the neighborhood. What Marion did is she hired people that basically were armed, and they would walk the women back to the cars. So it created a much safer space. And then over time, the bar had to close, and we created this reunion dance or she created this reunion dance, which we are bringing back after two years hiatus. And about 500 plus LGBTQ women and friends gather at the ballroom at Bayou Place and dance. And this (laughs) is an event that we love because we keep the prices very low.
2: One thing about Kindred Spirits, it was located over on Buffalo Speedway and it was kind of classy. The original location was, it was a really nice space It was during the time when we had a lot of women's music. Women performers were featured. You could go play pool, you could drink, you could dance, and you enjoy the music. And it was primarily a space for women. I remember being there one time, and this guy walked in with a cowboy hat on. And he got about halfway into the room, and he just kind of did this slow head turn to the left (laughs) and to the right. And then he just turned around and walked back out. It was quite a moment. And then after they closed the location on Buffalo Speedway, they were on Richmond right at the 610 Loop West. And that was another great space, and it continued there for some time. And it was kind of the spirit and the energy of what Marion had created that developed into what became a fundraising dance, not only a chance for people to get together and reminisce and enjoy themselves, but to raise funds for the community. And eventually, it became under the auspices of the Montrose Center, There's also another component that's taking place this year. Let's say it again, COVID, COVID, COVID. We couldn't have this dance for a couple of years now. So it's going to be probably a chance for people to really get out and enjoy the evening. When is it?
3: It is August 27th at the Ballroom at Bayou Place. 50% 50 sold out as far as tables.
2: And then there's also this decadent dessert event that's being done in conjunction. The decadent dessert was always an event that went to benefit Assisters, which is now under the auspices of the Mantra Center as well. So, what does this melding of these two different events look like?
3: Tendered Spirits was already a fundraiser for basically as many women's programs in the community that needed are very honored and fortunate to have those women's programs now at the Montrose Center. We are just kind of going back to the spirit of the Kindred Spirits Dance, and because we haven't had a fundraiser for a Sisters in so long, and we need those fundraisers to spread the mission, to find more volunteers, to raise money for the programs.
2: Explain what a Sisters is.
3: A sisters is a program, it came from HIV, the care teams, the lesbians were doing for the, the male members of our community. And then once there were older women that needed help, the sisters built these care teams, these amazing volunteers that go and bring them food, check in on them after storms, help take them to doctor's appointments, and connect them to the services. We now have a case manager at the Montrose Center that steps in and can really help them. I'm not to say the care teams couldn't really help them. They helped them in incredible ways. But We're trying to extend that care further. And we have a lot more women now that Law Harrington is full.
2: It wasn't just for older women it was maybe a woman who was living with MS or had some other maybe recovering from surgery even if she had a partner sometimes a partner needs a break they could bring in meals they could like you said take people to doctors appointments also provide a social component that they may have been lacking because they were pretty much shut in from their illness they would do little goodies and gifts like at christmas time and just little special things i know they always need volunteers so that's a really important thing if someone's looking for a volunteer opportunity and once again i'm going to give the plug that being a volunteer in the queer community is the best way to connect with other wonderful people because people that are giving that work for the community there's a certain sensibility, there's a spirit of camaraderie that you will make fast friends and they will not only while you're working on that, but they will become important people in your life for years to come. So plug for volunteers. You know how you have groups of animals and they're called like a flock or a pod. Well a group A pride. Of, yeah, a pride, a pride of lines. But A group of volunteers is called a blessing. And that is certainly, I'm sure Atlantis, the volunteer coordinator at Montrose Center, will agree with that. And we are very blessed in our community by having wonderful volunteers. But what was Decadent Desserts? It's a dessert
3: event where we just raise money for our sisters. It was at Neon Boots before we moved it over to the ballroom at Bayou Place. This year, it's going to be a special VIP reception, and there will be a wine and beer bar.
2: A Sister's was founded by Tori Williams and Decadent Dessert. I think they took the idea from me, because I used to have <laughs> a chocolate party for my birthday. And I was talking to Tori about this one time, and you could just see this light come on. Like, Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, we love this event because the entire room smells like
2: chocolate. Exactly. It's delightful. And it's not just chocolate. I mean they used it used to be pretty much chocolate, but now there's many and it's different caterers and restaurants that I think there's voting on the or there used to be. They would vote for like who was the best or but so that's we really- have another
3: voting competition at the KS dance. So there is this table decorating contest and we give out prizes for that. And I just wanted to share, if you're interested in a table on the dance floor, they're almost sold out. There's only four left on the dance floor. And if you want to see what's left, you can just go to montrosecenter.org. In our top scroll, they have the KS dance, and we have a floor plan, so you can pick your table.
2: Is there anything else about the Kindred Spirits reunion dance and the decadent desserts that you would like to share?
3: Yes, we're very excited to welcome DJ Lotus Inferno,
2: a.k.a. Carl
3: Hahn, back, who's been busily working to download more 70s, 80s, and top hits with some Latin and country. He takes his notes from the women that tend this dance very, very seriously, and then he works very, very, very hard to put it together. And we just adore him.
2: Oh, Carl's a darling. Diva Lotus Blossom.
3: Well, apparently now it's DJ Lotus Inferno.
2: I see. He upped it. He upped it a little bit. From Blossom to Inferno, I'll say. I think he still has his Diva Lotus Blossom Charm School, though, as he calls it. That sounds like great fun. Is there any other entertainment that will be taking place? No,
3: it's just dancing and desserts.
2: What more do you need but dancing desserts in a bar? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. <sighs>
3: Well, I'm really excited that we're back at the and Bayou Place because it has chandeliers and it's fancy, and we're hoping that, like, harkens back, the KS bar. You were just describing it. The other thing is that it's a gay-owned and operated venue, gay and lesbian-owned operated venue. Not only do they give us a great deal, not only are they super excited to welcome our community, especially after all of this time, but we're also supporting the community.
2: Okay, so once again... When, where, and how do you get tickets?
3: So tickets, you go to www.montrosecenter.org, and it is August 27th from 7 p.m. to midnight at the Ballroom by Your Place, 500 Texas Street.
2: Well, thanks for being with us today on Queer Voices.
0: Martha, what that fella on the wireless just say something about them interwebs. You don't have to ask Martha. We've got all the names, dates, and webpage links for people, events, and anything else mentioned in the show right on our own website. It's QueerVoices.org. We even link to past shows and other tidbits of information, so check it out. QueerVoices.org. Besides, Martha is a cat. She doesn't know anything about websites.
2: This is Deborah Moncrief-Bell, and today I'm talking with Sharon Prince, one of the members of the Houston Women's Group. Now, Sharon, you're new to the group, even though it's been around since 1975. Can you tell me a little bit how you found the group?
4: Yes, I was always interested in attending the Unitarian Church, where the group meets. and then, But I always lived too far out. So when I moved closer to town... I looked at all the available options that were meeting at the church, and the women's group really struck uh, struck out to me, and I went to it the first time, and I was like, oh my goodness, I have found my people, people who agree with me.
2: Yeah, I always describe it as people that speak the same language. I've been a member since the early 80s. During that time, it was really a heyday of feminism in the late 70s, early 80s in Houston. What has kept you coming back? I do
4: like the companionship that evolves and the sharing of like-minded ideas. The presenters are interesting. And then we do go to lunch after. And I enjoy that a lot, getting to talk to people individually and getting to know people more
2: Some of my closest friends are people that I met at the women's group or through the National Organization for Women. So that's really important. How long have you identified as a feminist? I realized very early that I wanted a different lifestyle than what I saw in
4: my own home, which was certainly very much shaped by the fact that my mother and my father grew up in the 40s and 50s. When I looked at them, I said, no, I don't want that lifestyle. In particular I pursued education as a way out even though I was very discouraged by my family to go to school because it wasn't common I was the only one of four to go to school so it was it's always been the pursuit to get out of a lifestyle I saw I didn't want by becoming a feminist
2: Have you learned anything in particular by attending the women's group I
4: think I really enjoyed the fact that although this isn't necessarily feminism But that we have an update on the COVID situation so that we're not just dealing with an emotional response to being disenfranchised or disrespected or narrowly defined. We're also looking at broader issues in society that affect everyone and us. And how can we help people in groups that aren't even necessarily related to us at all because we have knowledge to share?
2: The women's group kind of was born out of a bookstore that uh, Iris Sizemore had started at the church, and she had not been in Houston a real long time. Again, that was in 1975. And uh, the group has had 50, 60 women of a Sunday, and it's met every Sunday since Mm -hmm. 1975, except for this time during COVID someone said, why don't we start using Zoom? And I had been really reluctant to do that because I already do a lot of stuff for the women's group. And I was like, oh no, one more thing. But then we kind of painstakingly got started and now we have quite a number of folks that do attend via Zoom while we are also having in-person meetings. And since the Dobbs decision, there has been a real uptick in attendance. So, while we haven't quite reached those numbers that we did back in the day, we are having a sizable group there on Sundays. It starts at 10:30. And goes till noon. And then, as Sharon said, there's usually a lunch after at a nearby restaurant. And then there's some other groups that have kind of spun off of the women's group. A long time ago, there was a group called Woman Space that was kind of a daughter of the women's group. And then Loaf started it kind of as a spinoff from that. Now, there are some people that are meeting for coffee groups and a movie group. So, there's a real opportunity to make connections and meet like-minded people. What has been the most interesting thing to you from the group? Primarily,
4: two things. One, the companionship fellowship of being with like-minded people, as you mentioned, and then also the consistency of knowing Sunday is my time for sure what I'm going to be with people who agree with me. And I actually just a little while ago, I was thinking I need to figure out a way to expand my contact to other times. The coffee group and the movie group meet during the day and I do have a full time job and I'm going to graduate school. So, I would have to do something in the evening and maybe even just from Zoom. So, I'm sort of, I was just actually thinking the thought right before this meeting so that those of us who do work full-time and who have daily daytime obligations, we could have other times to meet and discuss. And I do think while Zoom has many limitations, it has enhanced a wide area in my life, especially personally. You know, we had my friends and I had a book club during the summer, the main COVID summer. We'd have gone to meeting face to face. So while Zoom is not ideal, it does offer us some opportunities to meet when we might not be able to just because of logistics.
2: When we talk about the women's group, we always say multigenerational and multicultural. Although sometimes when people come into the room, they're going to see a lot of older white women. And part of the reason of that is because a lot of us did start back in the early 80s or even the late 70s. And we've been with the group this whole time. There's also this phenomenon that Once you have entered that room, you are a member of the women's group, even if you never come again. And there are many people who may leave Houston and yet they come back to visit. So they attend the women's group or they move away, but then they come back to Houston and they start up again. And almost always, once you're a member of the group, you're going to end up being a presenter to the group. I'm not sure that since you've been attending, if we've had outside speakers, right now, most of the people that are presenting are women from within the group. Are you looking to do a presentation in the near future?
4: Yes, I'm supposed to email you about this. I hope this (laughs) serves as well, but I actually am going to present on the 28th about the misconceptions of people who are survivors of domestic violence. Because, in particular, the media representation, which is finally in the media, that women in particular suffer from this problem, but it, the women are presented as poor, uneducated, opportunity less. And that's not always the case. There are many professional women, myself included, who are survivors of domestic abuse, who are even more shamed by that perception that, how did you get into this problem? You have a career, you have an education, you have money. Why are you in this situation? Even to the point, not to give away part of my presentation, but when I was getting helped by the Women's Center, and many of the women in the group, there was a group opportunity as well as one-on-one counseling And the women in the group were talking about how they were financially impeded by the situation they ultimately found themselves in by being survivors of domestic abuse. And I said to the counselor, I said, you know, we all are affected this way. And I am someone with a career and a strong income. And she almost acted as though, well, it's really true for these other women. It's not actually true for you, right? That was definitely like what she didn't say, but was thinking about saying, Even within the community that helps women get out of domestic abuse situations, there's an assumption also broad disempowerment by society, which isn't always necessarily the case. And I have a dozen examples, but I guess I'll stop there.
2: That is really insightful. And any of us who have worked in the issue of intimate partner violence or family violence know that these stereotypes are very damaging. So that'll be a really interesting, and that's going to be on August 28th. So the women's group, We do have people that have international backgrounds, and since we have been on Zoom, we've had people call in from Portugal, from France. I think there may have been someone from the Netherlands once, and then there's a couple of members that live outside of Houston. One of the original founders of the group, Lena Brooks, lives in Minnesota, so she's been able to rejoin the group due to Zoom. For me, one of the best things about the women's group is these personal narratives of women telling their stories, because every woman has a story. And through hearing other women talk about their experiences, we can relate. And while you said it's people that think like you, We don't always agree on everything. There are differences of opinion, but we try to create an environment where things can be discussed and maybe some more insight into something. Sometimes we have one member, Jacqueline Shaw, who one is a wonderful poet, but she also has done a series called a little-known but highly accomplished woman. And she has taken stories of women that have done some pretty amazing things, but we don't really know about them from history. They're not particularly famous. Um, We may have heard their name, but we don't really know their stories. So that's been something that I have really enjoyed. Of course, I have presented dozens of times over the years, everything from Oh, I think I did a thing about love on Valentine's Day, love and relationships, and then I did a thing about mental health, because that's one of the things I'm an advocate for. So there's a real diversity of things that get discussed, and additionally, We are woman only. And when people, I know people are going to say, well, wait a minute. It's like, yes, trans women are welcome. That's not an issue. If you identify as a woman, you are welcome at the women's group. We also do have a diversity of ages. We would love to have more women that are below the age of 40 because most of us are older. But I have always found that. Having that multi-generational conversation has been very beneficial, both for me when I was younger, hearing from older women, and now that I am an older woman, I learn a lot from the younger women. There's a wonderful give and take there. Sharon, is there anything else about the women's group that you would like to say before we close out today?
4: I want to say that while we deal often with broad cultural issues, last week when we were at lunch, one person said, I'm going to have a beer. I hope nobody minds. And we're like, oh, it's okay. You can be yourself. And then somebody came to the table where I was sitting and she said, I'm going to put ice in my wine and people know it's not you're not supposed to do that. I'm like, it's okay. You can be yourself. And so this idea of so much women are socialized, or people who identify as women, that we have to apologize for being different at all from the dominant choice that we see out there being made. And I think that's, on a personal level, both multi-generational and diverse in other ways, it allows us to see that, wow, we've been impacted by people telling us this is what we're allowed to do. And now we're saying, you know what, we're allowed to do whatever we want, and I'm going to support you, and I'm going to support you, and we're all going to just accept each other. And I think that's very powerful.
2: I love it. And Diane Keaton uses ice in her wine. So, hey, anybody that wants to do that, that's fine. I think women get caught up in the shoulds and that that's a real trap. That's a a real good thing for you to bring up. And I also like the way you express it, that while the group takes place at this certain time each week, it continues throughout the week. Because a lot of us, we talk on the phone with each other or do activities with each other, and then that lunch afterwards is a wonderful time for conversation and networking. And again, it's the Houston Women's Group that meets Sunday mornings in room 302, the Sojourner Truth Room, at the First Unitarian Universalist Church at 5200 Bannon. If you would like to know more, you can send an email to hwomensgroup at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. This is Queer Voices.
0: This is a Queer Voices audio snapshot. In this episode, we have John Huckabee, CEO of AIDS Foundation Houston, from February 15th, 2021, talking about why HIV is still important and why AFH is still relevant.
5: Yeah, HIV is still important because we have about 1.2 million people living in the United States with HIV. We're still seeing about 37 to 38,000 new cases each year. Here in Houston, we're still seeing somewhere between 900 and 1,100 new cases each year. And so what we've seen is a kind of a plateauing effect where we've kind of come down, but we're not going down further, as you see in some other communities, and so HIV is still very much present. What's important to know is that there are new medications today, there are new options for treatment today, where even though we don't have a vaccine, and even though we don't have a cure, we have medications that are so effective at preventing HIV and also achieving viral suppression for those living with HIV. And so this is what is so important. And I think what makes AFH relevant today, just as much as it did in 1982, is that AFH thinks about what happens outside of the clinic. So, so much good care happens in clinic But what about when the person leaves the clinic? Or what about if the person never uh, wants to go into the clinic? How do we engage that individual help them understand their risk, help them to know their options, link them to that important clinical care so that they can live their best life. And that's what makes us and our community partners relevant is we work hand in hand with our clinical care providers to really provide that maximum opportunity for someone who is vulnerable to get the care that they need.
0: That was John Huckabee of the AIDS Foundation Houston. For more information, Google AIDS Foundation Houston or simply AFH. This has been a Queer Voices Audio Snapshot.
6: I'm Sarah Montague. And I'm Michael Lebeau. With Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending August 6, 2022.
7: I never meant to hurt anybody. I never meant to put in jeopardy the Russian population I never meant to break any laws here.
6: Eight-time WNBA all-star Brittany Griner's appeal for leniency failed to move a Russian judge. The African-American lesbian was sentenced to nine and a half years in a penal colony at the end of her trial on August 4th. Griner was arrested at Moscow area airport on February 17th after officials found vape cartridges containing less than a gram of legally prescribed cannabis oil in her luggage. It was just days before President Vladimir Putin launched his unprovoked war on Ukraine, and many analysts speculate that Greiner became an opportune trading card in the geopolitical maelstrom. The Biden administration insists the drug smuggling charges are manufactured. Greiner supplements her WNBA salary by playing in Russia during the off-season she told the court.
7: Your Honor, my parents taught me two important things. One, take ownership for your responsibilities, and two, to work hard for everything that you have. That's why I plead guilty to my charges. I understand everything that's being said against me, the charges that are against me, and that is why I plead guilty. But I had no intent to break any Russian laws. I want the courts to understand that it was an honest mistake that I made while rushing under stress, trying to recover from post-COVID, and just trying to get back to my team. That hard work that my parents instilled in me is what brought me to play for the best Euroleague and Russian team here at Ugymka. I had no idea that the team, the city, the fans, and my teammates would make such a great impression on me over the six and a half years that I've spent here in ECAT. It became my second home with my friends, my teammates, and my fans that I was able to interact with. I remember vividly coming out of the gym and all the little girls that were in the stands there waiting on me. And that's what kept making me come back here. I want to apologize to my parents, my siblings, my Phoenix Mercantry organization back at home, the amazing women of the WNBA, and my amazing spouse. I never meant to hurt anybody, I never meant to put in jeopardy the rest of the population. I made an honest mistake, and I hope that in your ruling that it doesn't end my life here. I know everybody keeps talking about political pawn and politics, but I hope that that is far from this courtroom. I had no intent, I did not conspire or plan to commit this crime. Again, I want to apologize to my teammates and the organization Gimka for any damage that I may have done to them. I never intended on hurting them. This is my second home, and all I want to do is just win championships and make them proud. Thank you, Your Honor.
6: John Kirby of the U.S. National Security Council condemned the nearly maximum sentence for a relatively minor case of possession, inflated to include intent to distribute.
2: She shouldn't even bet on trial. She's wrongfully detained. Uh, absent that, uh, we, we find the, the sentence reprehensible in
6: its, in its scope. Russian officials had flatly refused to consider any prisoner exchange proposal until Greiner's trial was over. After the sentencing, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was quoted by the state news agency RIA Novosti Saying that the Kremlin is ready to discuss this topic, but within the framework of the back channel that has been agreed by Russian President Vladimir Putin and U.S. President Joe Biden, he did not elaborate. Greiner's long-term mental and physical health in a Russian penal colony is of concern to many observers. Her supporters' fear negotiations for a prisoner swap could take months. She has until August 14th to file an appeal. The first date in the
8: bromance between U.S. Conservative Political Action Conference and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban was in Budapest earlier this year. The affair resumed on August 4th.
0: The globalists can all go to hell. I have come to Texas.
8: (laughs) Orban landed in Dallas days after making this blatantly bigoted speech in Romania.
5: There is a world in which European peoples are mixed together with those arriving from outside Europe. Now that is a mixed-race world. And then there is our world, where people from within Europe mix with one another.
8: Those remarks were called pure Nazi by a longtime aide who promptly resigned. However, self-described Christian nationalist Orban wowed the almost entirely Caucasian CPAC crowd they also cheered his usual anti-queer rants. We had to build not just a physical wall on our borders, but a
0: legal wall around our children to protect them from the gender ideology. Family ties shall be based on marriage or the relationship between parents and children. The mother is a woman, the father is a man, and leave our kids alone. Full stop, end of discussion. We don't need more genders, we need more rangers. Less direct queens and more Chuck Norris.
8: The far right of the Republican Party seems to be unashamedly under the spell of the fascist strongman. Swooning fans sharing the CPAC stage with the Hungarian autocrat were the likes of former Alaska Governor and Vice Presidential Candidate Sarah Palin, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, insurrection backers Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, and Georgia Congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene the
6: twice-impeached former president
8: also appeared.
6: The owner of a Chicago-area bakery who reluctantly canceled a family-friendly drag queen brunch last week is now being blocked from hosting events of any kind. Karina Sack of the Uprising Bakery and Cafe in Suburban Lake in the Hills, Illinois, posted a video on Facebook on July 30th canceling a Disney karaoke event planned for that evening and a resume-writing workshop scheduled for the next day. She said that town officials had sent her a letter advising her that her establishment is not zoned for hosting events. Drag brunches and other family-friendly events have been a vital part of her business since she opened the bakery in November. Vandals broke windows and spray-painted vulgar anti-queer slogans on the walls of the building in late July. Sack questioned the timing of the shutdown. After
3: voicing their support for us and saying that they will help us reschedule the canceled event from 7-23. Now they want us to cancel not only our next drag show, they want us to cancel every single event, stop hosting events going forward. To me it seems a little coincidental.
6: Sack is considering
8: her legal options. Finally, Michigan's civil rights laws that ban discrimination based on sex extend to sexual orientation and gender identity. So says the state Supreme Court in a 5-2 ruling. A handful of companies that wanted to deny service to trans people and queer couples had challenged that interpretation of the law by the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. The two no-votes were Republicans, but Republican Justice Elizabeth Clement joined her Democratic colleagues in affirming bias protections. She wrote, Discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation necessarily constitutes discrimination because of sex. A significant portion of the U.S. population wrongly believed that federal law protects LGBTQ people from discrimination. There are no protections in a number of states either. Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel helped argue the case before the state Supreme Court. She applauded the ruling.
4: It's good for the people of our state. It's good for businesses in our state, and it's great for the economy of our state.
8: Nestle told Detroit's WXYZ-TV that it's personal for her as a partnered lesbian.
4: It means that people can feel confident in being who they are and not have to worry about having their job threatened or their housing situation threatened. Up until yesterday, I could still walk into, you know, a diner and be told that they won't serve me or my family. We're law-abiding members of the community like anybody else. We just want to have all the same opportunities.
6: And now we do. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending August 6, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
8: News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and
6: brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And
8: you can read the transcript and listen to News each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Michael LeBeau. Stay healthy. And
6: I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe.
0: This has been Queer Voices, which is now a home produced podcast and available from several podcasting sources. Check our webpage queervoices.org for more information. Queer Voices executive producer is Brian Lavinka, Andrew Edmondson, and Deborah Moncrief Bell are frequent contributors. The News Wrap segment is part of another podcast called This Way Out, which is produced in Los Angeles. Some of the material in this program has been edited to improve clarity and runtime. This program does not endorse any political views or animal species. Views, opinions, and endorsements are those of the participants and the organizations they represent. In case of death, please discontinue use and discard remaining product. For Queer Voices, I'm Glenn Holt.